0: You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning, church. Awesome. Hey, this is such a good time. Hey, you're probably wondering, why do you have these balloons? I just have to make an announcement. One more announcement. It is Pastor John's birthday today. Are you kidding me? I'm just going to put this right here. We're going to sing happy birthday to him. Is that all right, folks? John, why don't you stand up like Red Robin? Like Red Robin. Like Red Robins. Here we go. Ready? Happy birthday to you. Woo! Happy birthday to you. Woo! Happy birthday, dear John. Let's throw in some harmonies. Happy birthday to you. (laughs) I love that guy. You know what? It's his birthday, and then we get the gift of him leading worship. It's like we get a gift on his birthday. Amazing. Happy birthday, bro. Uh, My name is Andrew. If you don't know me, welcome to church today. And, uh, you know, if this is uh, your first time here in a while, we've been in a new series. And the series is called God of All Things. And uh, we've talked about a few things. It's our third week. We've talked about pigs. We've talked about dust. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, check online because that sounds super weird. But today we talk about salt. Salt. In the Bible, there are many references to salt. And so one of them we're going to read first and then we'll dive into some more scriptures. But the passage for today is the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, first book in the New Testament, And we're going to start reading. Uh, The verse that we want to hone in on this morning is verse 13. But in order for us to really get the context of verse 13, we're going to actually read verses 1 to verses 16 and kind of see where our scripture, verse 13, fits in the story. And so if you have your Bibles, Matthew 5, let's stand together as we uh, read God's word. This is uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So this is the greatest sermon preached by the greatest preacher of all time, Jesus himself, let's read these words together. He talks about the Beatitudes, which literally means the blessings. Verse 1, one day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. In fact, be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. And then here's our verse. You are salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are a light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone who sees in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that it was a word for then and a word for today, March 6, 2022. And so would you show us how to live this life, how to be salt, how to be light in the world that you've placed us in, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, there's been a great debate throughout history amongst Christians, and usually it ends in two different camps. On the one side, you have a group of Christians who believe that they should be totally separate from the world that they need to run to the hills, isolate themselves. That means no worldly music, no worldly entertainment. They are just running away from the ways of the world. This means, you know, homeschooled or kindergarten to grade 12, they're in a Christian school, then they graduate, they go to a Christian college, university, get a Christian degree, work in a ministry or a church or a Christian organization, and they kind of are not around the world that often. This is one camp. On the other side, there are people who actually try to replicate, to mimic the world. To fit in, they walk the same walk, they talk the same, they dress the same, they act the same, watch the same movies, listen to the same music, and you actually can't even differentiate a believer from a non-believer. And this is all done uh, with the heart of just being seeker sensitive. Now the word in both of these camps that comes to mind for me is the word influence. And you see this on both sides. You see the one side trying to run from the world so they are not influenced by the world. And then you see the other side where they want to be so in the culture and in the world that they're trying to influence the world and more often than not, they end up being influenced by the world. And so these are the two ditches we see. And when we look at Matthew chapter 5, we see that Jesus is actually saying there's another way. There's another way. Jesus is giving us an example of what it looks like for us to have influence in the world, to be Christians who influence the world. Now, Jesus starts his sermon with the Beatitudes, the blessings. It means supreme blessedness. Now, why is it important for us to read verses 1 to 12 before we read verse 13? Specifically, verses 3 to 12, he gives us nine blessings. And this is the reality. In those verses, Jesus points out to the reality that believers who live and are characterized by this Beatitude quality life True sons and daughters of the Most High will be salt and be light in the world when we live this way and will influence the world for good and for God. This is how we live as believers. And I want us to look at the wording here. So there are nine blessings in the Beatitudes and then two you are statements. So he gives the nine blessings and then he says, you are salt, you are light. But it's interesting with these you are statements. Jesus is not saying, hey, if you're a believer, you should really try to be salty. He's not trying to say, if you're a Christian, you should try to be light. He's actually saying, if you look at it literally, Jesus is saying, you only are salt. You only are light. In fact, there is no other salt in this world but you. And when he gives the two you are statements of salt and light, In this moment, he's not really talking to the great crowd. He's talking to the disciples and those who believe in this group. Now, this is not an easy task. It is only us who brings salt and light to the world. But it's not easy. In fact, I hate to admit it, but it seems pretty impossible. Jesus prays in John chapter 17 to the Father, and he's praying for those who believe and will enter the kingdom. And this is what his prayer is says. He says, Lord, I pray that you should not take them out of the world. And then the next sentence he says, they are not of the world. And then the next sentence he says, so I have sent them into the world. And then 1 John 2.15, John writes, anyone who loves the world or anything in the world does not have the love of the Father in them. Don't love the world or anything in the world. And so how do we put this all together? To summarize it, the Bible is telling us To be in the world, but not of it. You are sent to it, but don't you dare love it. So how do we live this life? How do we live and bring influence to this world that we're in? It seems very hard. How do we do it? The answer is Matthew 13 to 16. And we're going to focus on you are salt and you are light. Going back to this great debate between these two sides of Christians throughout history, One who runs from the world to not be influenced, and one who is in the midst of it and almost becomes absorbed and turns into the world and is influenced by the world. How does this look? I mean, the reality is if we are salt, what benefit do we give if we stay in our salt shaker? If we are salt and we're just sprinkled on more salt, will there be change? Will there be impact? Will there be a contrast? And vice versa, if we're in the world and we don't even look salty, we lose our saltiness, we just fit in with the way of the world and there's no contrast, there's no impact, there's no influence. We become of the world. It's the same thing with light. If you're light of the world, well, a flashlight in a really bright room won't really make impact, but when it's in darkness, the light becomes bright, there's a contrast there. So as we focus on salt today, I want to just unpack three Truths for us, and I hope that they will be truths to help us understand what it looks like for us as believers to be in this world and bring influence. The first, we need to identify what the problem is. The second, we're going to talk about the plan, because God does have a plan. And the third, we're going to talk about the purpose. What was the purpose that salt was used for then, today, and how does this apply for us in this greater story? So, first, let's look at the problem. Now, the problem is very clear. The world is decayed, and the world is decaying, and that's why there's a need for salt. The world is dark, that's why there's a need for light. And here's the problem with the problem, if you're tracking with me. It's not going to get any better. This is the reality of where we're going. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.13 says this, that evil men will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It's not going to go away. Some of us in the room think, oh, it's going to get better. The light's going to get brighter. We're going to be brighter. We're going to be brighter. It's going to pass. This is not what the Bible says about our reality. It's bad, and it's going to get worse. And it actually can't get better and better because technically after Genesis 3, with the fall of mankind, the world's not even good to begin with anymore. So it's bad, and it's going to get worse. We look back in history, specifically philosophers and poets in the 19th century. They were so excited about the future, the 20th century. They called it the golden age. They were getting so excited because they thought with the process, the theory of evolution, that people are going to get better and better and new technology and people are going to talk more instead of fights. There'll be less wars, more peace. Uh, Disease will be, you know, gone because we would have the technology and the science they thought there would be no more immorality, no more addictions. People, it, just, it was paradise. They thought the 20th century would be paradise. And you fast forward to today, and we can look around. It doesn't take us long to look around to realize that they were not only wrong, they were dead wrong. This is not the reality. There's a war going on right now. There's a lot of stuff around our world to easily show us that it is decayed and is decaying. And it is dark and it's getting darker. It's so fascinating to me that you look at Genesis chapter 1, you see the creation story and it unfolds in chapter 2. Everything is good, then he makes mankind, it's very good. And it only takes five chapters up to chapter 6 for God to look down and say, wow, this place is a disaster. Uh, There is a lot of evil, there's a lot of sin. I'm going to actually take these eight people, all these animals, we're going to put them on a boat and we're actually going to cause a flood and literally wipe out everyone and start over again it's so bad he does that as second timothy says we go from bad to worse we get more and more evil so it continues it continues it continues to genesis 19 sodom and gomorrah where it's just polluted it is evil it is dark it is twisted and he has to do it again there's another fire and more brimstone and it's you know he wipes out all the evil now Second Peter 3:10 to 12 says, "The story continues, and this is going to happen." Look what Second Peter says: "The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the heavens, will just disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and its works will be laid bare." The story continues. This is the reality. We go from bad to worse, and it's a big problem. The world is decayed and is decaying, and that's why we' are in need. The world is in desperate need of salt. Now, this is the problem. Let's talk about the plan because God has a plan for the problem. And I'm looking at the plan right now. The plan is you and the plan is me. You are salt. You are light. You are not just a background actor in this story. You're not an extra where you can just walk by and say, hey, mom. Nope. You are the main character. You're a part of the main cast. You play a huge role in this plan. Some of you might know this, some of you don't, but I, uh, I love uh, lowriders, you know, the cars that bounce around, dance in the street. Uh, yeah, you can laugh and judge me, that's fine, that's okay. Uh, but I love them, I'm actually building one, I've been building one for a long time, and it's just uh, one of my biggest passions. But when I was in San Diego, actually, John, I think you were with me there when we met, Did we? yeah, we met, yeah, Sergio, okay. So, uh, you know, we were in a, at a conference, and then we led worship together in San Diego years ago. And uh, we got to have lunch So this one guy. is named Sergio. He's a good friend of mine. And they have a car club, a specific lowrider car club. because lowriders are crazy in California. Anyway, so, and it's called Chosen. And they, they, they base their entire club on a passage of scripture. But they believe that their mission as being salt and light is to be a body of believers that go into these car shows and whatever. And they are just salt and light in these pretty dark communities. And so, I mean, Sergio even asked me, hey, would you want to be the president of the Vancouver chapter? I'm like, oh, a president? I'm to be a president. I can, I can get a suit and put on a president. Um, but uh, I said yes, and it was just a really cool experience. But, um, you know, this is the passage of Scripture. And I say this story because I want to point to this Scripture that we would meditate on. Every time you go to a show or connect with other lowrider guys, we'd think of this Scripture before we get into this world. And this is the scripture for us, if we can put it up. It's uh, 1 Peter 2.9. It says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So this is who you are if you're a believer in the room. And I tell you this to remind you, because if, if it's our duty to be salt and light, we need to know who we are so that we could operate in who God made us to be. This is who you are. You are chosen by God, kings and queens, princes and princesses, being sent into the world, and your job is to hold back the corruption and bring salt and light to the dark and decaying world. It's our responsibility. These you are statements, like I mentioned, were directed to the disciples and the believers that were amongst the multitude that Jesus was preaching on that mountainside, and I think it's amazing because He's speaking to the disciples and the believers, but He's speaking to them, reminding them that they're salt and they're light for the purpose of the entire multitude that's in front of them. His desire to say, "You're salt, you're light," so that they can point the multitude to Himself. It's actually beautiful, and this is what we do. This is our role. This is how we have influence, and now. You're probably a little overwhelmed thinking, oh man, i got to get saltier. I am losing my taste. Or I need to be more light. i gotta, I got to produce more light in my life. Here's a couple of warnings when we go that route because that's a dangerous place to go. Number one, you cannot do this without the Lord. You can't. It is only through the saving work of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection that gives you power to be salt and life. It's only in the abiding relationship with God where you stay close to Him, you cling to Him, you're obsessed with Him. This is where it all happens. You know, we did a play many years ago. I was, when I was first started working here, and I felt like, you know, we write a, I want to write a play. I felt called to write a play for our Christmas Eve service. Was anyone here when we did a play like a long time ago? They probably saw the play like, oh, I've got to get out of this church. This play was bad. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're all gone. Okay, so... <laughs> You guys are blessed, apparently. Um, <laughs> but you know what? I felt so strongly, and in my opinion, I, actually, I know some of you were here. You were a part of the play. Um, but you know what? I just felt really strong that we were to, you know, play, have a play for our Christmas Eve service. And we, I didn't know much people in the church at the time. And so I said, hey, let's just, whoever wants to act, just meet me in the lobby on some evening. So a bunch of people come. And of course, I'm sitting back looking at all the people coming, and I'm thinking, who's going to play Jesus. It's a big role. And so I look out in the parking lot. Everyone's there. I'm like, I don't know who this person's going to be. And then I look out in the parking lot. It's evening. It's foggy. The the parking lights look in our parking lot. And there's this guy walking by with a long brown beard. I kid you not, long brown hair, olive skin, okay? And there's a light from the parking over him. And he's walking in the fog. And I'm like, ah! I literally, I, I was just like, it's Jesus! It's Jesus! Okay, so he walks in. And I'm like... You know what part you're going to play, right? (laughs) So he ends up, I didn't even know that this guy was actually a professional actor. Uh, Anyway, so he played the role of Jesus and he did an amazing job. But years and years later, he came up to me in the front here and he said, I just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to play the role of Jesus. And I hadn't been able to tell you this for years. But he said, you know, when I'm a professional actor and when I got the role of Jesus, what a professional actor does is sit and studies the character as much as he possibly could. And so he would sit for weeks and weeks and just study who Jesus was, how he acted, how he he operated, and he said, honestly, it changed my life. I wasn't walking strongly with the Lord in that time, and it changed my life forever. And this is the reality for us. We can't produce salt and light ourselves. We cling to Jesus. We study his character. We become obsessed with him, and he manufactures salt and light in us by his grace. So that's the first thing. It's not up to us. The second thing, when Jesus gives these you are statements to the crowd, specifically the disciples and the believers, he is saying you are, and the you is actually plural. It's not singular. So number one, you can't manufacture it yourself. And number two, you're not doing this alone. He is looking to the body of believers saying, collectively, you are salt when you work together as the body. Think of it this way. If I go out for brunch with you after church, and we're going to go to Denny's together, and of course, I'm going to order the Lumberjack Slam, which means there's eggs and bacon and sausage and hash brown and toast and pancakes, and I put peanut butter on the pancakes, and it's actually so delicious with syrup. Okay, I'm really hungry. (laughs) I better stop. But um, if I said, hey, pass the salt, I'm not going to take one grain of salt and just drop it in the middle of my Lumberjack Slam. I'm not going to do that. It's when I actually pour salt on my meal where it actually gives flavor. And so it's not a one grain that's going to, you know, be an influence in the world. It's us collectively doing this together. So it's plural. And it makes sense when Jesus reiterates the next verse in 14, you are to be light to the world, a city on the hill that can't be hidden. A city is made of many lights, not just one light. We collectively are salt and light. I was on a tour, a music tour years ago, and it was a red-eye flight. And I remember flying, and as I was flying, I saw all the city lights sparkling and look really pretty. And then I get higher up, and the lights start to look a little bit closer together. And then by the time I'm really high, it's one big light. This is what it means to, for us to be believers. We all are light, but collectively we work together to bring light to the world. This is us, this is how we operate. So the plan is you, the plan is me. We collectively, by the power of Jesus in us, bring salt to preserve the decaying world and light to shine in the darkness. So let's talk about the purposes. We know the problem. We know the plan. Let's see the purposes of what salt was used for back in this time. And we'll try to see what commentators have said about maybe what Jesus was talking about when he addressed the believers that they were salt. This is really, really interesting. So I did some digging this last week. And found some really interesting things of what salt was used for in the scriptures. Today we wouldn't think this way, but through history and in this time, salt was extremely valuable. Like if you opened a safe in those days and you open it, it wouldn't be gold bricks and money it would be Denny's packages, okay? Packages of salt. This was a big deal. It was incredibly valuable. In fact, Roman soldiers in this time, they were paid in salt, Salt was very important. For the Romans, the two most valuable things in the world to them was salt and the sun, which I think is very interesting. Salt and light were the two most valuable things. So you can imagine when Jesus is sitting, talking to all these people, saying, you are salt and you are light, they're probably thinking, my mother was right. I am special. I'm the most special person in the world. I am the most valuable thing in the world. Mother was right. And although mothers are always right, uh, let's look at my mom's right there. She's like, Amen. Mm hmm, mm hmm. I told you. Uh, let's look at some of the ways the salt was being used. Number one, it was used uh, in covenants. So, 2 Chronicles 13.5, we have it up here. It says, don't, don't you realize the Lord, the God of Israel, made a lasting covenant with David, giving him and his descendants the throne of Israel forever? Now, this term lasting covenant in Hebrew means a salt covenant. Salt was used commonly. In covenants. Of course, back then there was no lawyers, there was no notary public stamping papers, there was no docu sign or authentic sign. Uh, to have a lasting covenant, the two people would literally eat salt in front of a witness. The witness would watch them eat salt, and once they ate salt, he would say, This covenant is now binding. So it was used in covenants, which is fascinating. Salt was also used in sacrifices. Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13 says this, Season all of your grain offerings with salt to remind you of God's eternal covenant. Never forget to add salt to your grain offerings. Very interesting. Salt was also used for flavoring food, which we do today. Now this is a scripture for all of us. Don't people complain about unsalted food? Doesn't anyone want, does anyone want the tasteless white of an egg? So he's basically saying when you're at Denny's, it is biblical to put some salt on the white. This is, we're just obeying the rules, right? We're being biblical. Uh, we do this today. Salt was also used as a healing agency. In Ezekiel chapter 16, it's very fascinating. They're talking about babies being born and they're washed. And as soon as the baby's washed after delivery, they would rub a bunch of salt on the baby. And you're thinking, why would they do that? Well, there's a lot of cuts and scrapes and wounds when the baby comes out. And so the salt was used as a healing agent to heal those wounds. But salt was also used uh, destructively, which is very interesting. Judges chapter 9, we see in verse 45 with Abimelech, when he captured Shechem, he he wanted to show displeasure to them. So what did he do? He just threw a bunch of salt on their fields and it killed all the fields, killed all the crops. So if you circle back to Jesus speaking on this mountainside, saying you are salt of the, wor- of the world, what do you think these people are thinking? Okay, what are you trying to say? Am I supposed to be destructive? Am I supposed to add flavor? Am I supposed to be healing? Am I, like, what am I, am I what, covenants or sacrifices? What are you saying, Jesus? How am I supposed to interpret this? And so I'm going to walk through a couple of, what, uh, couple of commentators, what they've said of what uh, Jesus could be meaning. So let's talk about the purpose here of what Jesus could have meant by this you are statement that's for all of us today. Number one, some say that Jesus had purity in mind. Salt is white and as salt is glistening in the sunshine and a very brown and, you know, just kind of a different kind of space, the white would pop out and it would look very pure, especially in the sunlight. And if you think of verse 8 of the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are those who are pure for they will see God. So some commentators say, Maybe he was talking about purity. Is that what Jesus is talking about? That we are to have pure speech and pure thoughts and pure actions? I think, of course, Jesus desires this of us. But I don't, I don't know if that's the exact thing that he was trying to communicate. So there's purity. There's also flavor. Flavor is the second one. And there's a lot of commentators that talk about Flavor saying that Christians are supposed to bring flavor to this tasteless, dry, lifeless, unsavory world. Us as believers, we're supposed to bring flavor to the world. Now, the world for sure would not see Christians as flavor. Uh, They look at us and they actually think we're kind of tasteless, and we're boring, and we're bland, and we are party poopers, and we just have rules and laws, and we're just no fun. We actually suck the life out of the world, that we are actually tasteless. This is what it looks like. To the non believers. Could this be what Jesus is talking about? That we're supposed to bring flavor to the world? I do see that salt does symbolize purity, and I do see that it does symbolize flavor, but I don't know if that's exactly what Jesus is talking about in our text. Third option, and this one was very interesting salt stings. Now, we talked about salt being a healing agent. Uh, it was used for medicinal purposes. If you think of the common phrase, throwing salt on the wound, yes, it will heal, but it also hurts. Uh, is that how we're supposed to live? You know, many Christians, we try to be very careful and not to offend anyone, not to say anything that will hurt. Uh, you know, we try to almost soothe people's sinfulness with honey so it's just sweet and we're not salty where it hurts. Uh, for those in the room who are single and have never experienced the sting, find a spouse. (laughs) You'll get zinged all the time. Uh, I am so grateful for my wife and I I know that we are salt for each other and we help each other. And this is a part of healing and growing and and uh, it's really, really good. But look at 2 Corinthians 2, 15 to 16. It says this, Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently for those who are being saved and those who are unsaved. For those who are unsaved, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are life-giving perfume. In other words, we are honey to believers, but to non-believers, we are salt. And it stings... But we bring healing to the world. Is this what Jesus is talking about? Are we supposed to sting? That seems really good. I think pure sounds good. Flavor sounds good. Sting sounds good. There's a few more. This next one is really interesting. A lot of scholars say that the primary purpose is thirst. Now, I really like this one. This one really stood out to me. If someone doesn't drink any liquids, they get bloated, they die, there's dehydration, there's death, or severe il- illness. And so, People would suggest that salt actually is what helps people become thirsty. We need salt to to have that thirst. And so if we are salt to the earth, this is really fascinating. Our lives should be creating thirst in the world, thirst for God. So if we are really salty, when non-believers or people who are seeking see us, and it's all about living that beatitude quality life. So when we have joy in the midst of persecution, if we're struggling, if we're mourning and we're considering ourselves blessed, or if we're weak or peacemakers, if they see how we live our lives, they might not agree with us that Jesus is the way, but they see that we're different. They see that we're distinct, and it actually makes them thirsty for something else, and that is Jesus. And so to be salt in the earth, we create thirst. Is this what Jesus is talking about? I think there's a big part of it. That is about that i think honestly you see purity you see flavor you see sting you see thirst but i think the biggest one that jesus is referring to is this one right here jesus himself calls us to be a preservative he calls us to be a preservative we are an antiseptic just like they used to rub salt into the meat to keep the meat it was so valuable because there's no fridges and so they had to rub a bunch of salt to keep the meat from going bad And just like that, we are to be rubbed into the world to help preserve the world from the direction it's going, which is corruption, decay, and darkness. We are here by God's grace and the power of God to prevent corruption. And when we live out this Christ-like character, this beatitude-quality life, we bring purity, yes, we bring flavor, yes, we sting, yes, we thirst, we sting for the purpose of healing, we create thirst in those around us, but we are ultimately summed up. All those are summed up. We are preservative, and we are preserving the world from completely falling apart. And God is so amazing that he would use ordinary people like you and me to do this. When mankind was born, they were, it was, he didn't use gold or silver or anything fancy with Adam and Eve. It was just dust. It was dirt. When Jesus was born, he wasn't born in this royal kingdom with an amazing, you know, genealogy leading up to him. No, the genealogy was pretty messed up if you read. There's a lot of messed up people in his genealogy. And he was born humbly in a stable by a simple girl named Mary. This is how he operates. He uses ordinary people like you and me to do amazing things and to influence those around us. God is preserving the world through us. Yes, we know at the end of the day, as we read in 2 Peter We are going to have a time of judgment. But until that day comes, he uses us to literally hold back the judgment and decay in the world. And this is a perfect example of what it looks like. Genesis chapter 18 is really interesting. It's a story of Abraham where he comes before the Lord interceding for Sodom as we talked about Sodom, nasty place filled with so much evil. But look at verse 23. Abraham approaches him and says, are you going to actually destroy the righteous and the unrighteous at the same time? Like, would you do that? Would you sweep everyone away? What if I found 50 righteous people? Would you spare the entire population for 50? And the Lord says, you know what? I would not destroy the whole population if you found 50 righteous people. Abraham's like, "Ah, man, okay, well, That's probably hard. What about 45? Would you do it for 45? There's not a lot of righteous people out there. Would you do it for 45? You know what? You bring me 45 righteous people, I'll do it. And it keeps going, and the number keeps going lower and lower. He's like, all right, Lord, don't get mad at me. What about 10? There's not a lot of righteous people out there. Would you do it for 10? And the Lord says, I'll do it for the sake of, I will not destroy the entire population for the sake of 10 righteous people. What does this show us in this story? That literally 10 righteous people could have spared an entire population. Believers in the room today, we are in the world to preserve the world from the wrath of God, the delay of corruption. Judgment, yes, will eventually come. But until then, God uses us to bring grace as salt, to show purity, flavor, sting where necessary, to give people a thirst for God and to preserve and slow down the corruption and the decay. That's amazing. And if we want to live this salty life, we cannot do it by operating in the way of the world. We have to be distinct. We have to stand out. We can't run to the hills and surround ourselves with just Christians. We can't be so in the world that we become of the world. We are in the world, not of it. We're sent to it, but we can't love it and absor- and be absorbed by it. It's a hard, hard balance. But we must live the beatitude quality life that points to Jesus who is the true salt and true life of the world? Light of the world. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to CAchurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.